Good morning, church family. Am, am I here yet? All right, perfect. Okay, so it's back full Sunday. And they're like, hey, this is going to be a great idea. Let's have Simon and Spencer preach, which is great. You know, campus minister, you have the youth minister, and, and we'll get rolling. And we're going through Luke, as you guys hopefully know and are aware of and have been a part of. Luke, it's an amazing book. And we start looking, and we're going to be in chapter 7 today. And so I start looking at the material, and I look specifically at what they asked us to cover we're going to cover a Gentile, we're going to cover a dead person, and we're going to cover a sinful woman on Back to School Sunday. What a wild time, right? But to be very honest, if you've kept up with with much with our school systems, you can probably find all three. And uh, we really need all the prayers we can get for these kids. I do want to start out this morning. It was really cool. Uh, the original title that they gave us was the, Untouch- the Untouchables. And I was like, that's, that's really cool. Um, all three of them were very untouchable people to the Jews. Um, but I really wanted to, for the sake of back to school, I want to focus on the heart. And I've been staring at this image every week that it's up. You know, traditionally it's the, the whole gospel But there at the center of it, the tomb, the empty tomb, is a heart, is the love of God. But even throughout it, as you read the book of Luke, I've been asking myself the question of where is my heart? The other interesting thing about being a student minister is you have two starts to your year. You have the traditional everybody else in the world where it's New Year's, it's it's the calendar, it's the big celebration, it's staying up till midnight, watching the clock change over, and then rushing off to bed. But then August rolls around. People promote. People move on. People go on to that next step. It's a time of new. It's a time of beginnings. And I can't think of a better thing to challenge our students with, but please don't tune me out, the rest of you challenge ourselves with where is our heart going to be this school year if you look at jeremiah 17 9 and 10 it tells us that our heart is deceitful like your heart is a deceiving object within your body why because it's flesh i need you to number one understand that your heart is flesh your heart is deceitful But the really cool thing is, is God comes in and and he examines the heart. Even though we can't, even though we might not be able to do it, he comes in and he examines. The second thing I wanted to point out is Proverbs 4.23 tells us, it says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I want to start by asking you, what is your life like today? Before we even move on to what next year looks like, before we even move on to the future, you have to ask yourself, how is today? How is right now? And the last place we're going to be before we hit chapter 7 is where Bromley left us last week. Look at Luke chapter 6. Starting with verse 43. 
Uh, Bromley and I didn't communicate much between our two sermons. Um, I listened to him last week, and I was like, thank you, Lord, for being the one that speaks through us. Because he set up where my heart had been so beautifully. If you read 43, it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from the bramble bush. Verse 45, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And last week, Bromley asked you guys, who are you in this story? When you read through chapter 6 and you were hearing the teachings and you were gathering that understanding, where was your heart? And what is it that your heart is producing? And then oddly enough, Luke, being so beautifully guided by the Holy Spirit, begins telling us some stories in chapter 7. Look at verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when, he, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogues. What an awesome guy, right? Here he is, this Roman centurion. He has a hundred men under his say, under his control, under his leadership. And he could come in and he could be a tyrant over these Jews. But he comes in and he loves this nation. He's tender to this nation. He is serving this nation. He goes on to say in verse 6, And when Jesus went with them, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you not, even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned, they found the servant well. Some people love alliteration, some people don't. If you want the alliteration for today, you're going to have a servant, you're going to have a son, and you're going to have a sinner. If you want to abandon the art of alliteration... I need you to understand that you have the faithful. This is just a story of faith. And take a moment and really think about it. You have this man who is, 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 is just hearing about what Jesus is doing, has this servant that he loves. I mean, really think about the tenderness of the centurion. 
He's kind to the Jews. He loves the servant. He's willing to reach out to this random Jewish guy that's out doing crazy things. And so he sends some of the Jewish elders. And they go to Jesus. And they say, the centurion is worthy. The centurion is worthy. They don't speak on the servant. The centurion then comes and he sends other people and says, I'm not worthy. Who who am I to come to you? Who am I to come to to you, this, this amazing man? He doesn't understand, but he's heard about Jesus. And he at least understands that Jesus has some authority to command this situation. And says, if you say it, it'll happen. Again, I want to point out, the servant is really not brought up again. We don't talk about the servant. And he says his statement of faith. Lord, if you say it, and they get back, and it's done. There's at least one person under the sound of my voice that came to church today, not because you are sick, even though we all are. You're here today out of faith for a loved one. You've been praying for a loved one. You've been praying for that person. That's the whole point of today. There is a whole rack out there with students' pictures for you guys to take one and pray over them. Your faith can do something amazing. I want you all to look real quick at verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. How wild is it that you have a Savior who still marvels at something. You have a Savior that is God of the universe. Like Scripture tells us, He is currently holding the universe in His hand. But while He was here, He marveled just at the faith of one man. How cool is that? How cool is it that our faith still brings God to a point of reaction? How cool is it that our faith still stirs God up? I need you to always remember that God is your Father. Christ is your brother. The Holy Spirit is within you. That's a love. And so when you believe in that love, when you believe in that Father, in that Savior, you can marvel God. I'm going to tell you all an embarrassing story about myself. I was, I think, 14 or 15 I was probably too old to be having this thought. I think I was just trying to be smart and cool. I don't know. But I was at a I was at a summer camp. It was uh this this big like retreat style, big bands came, um and we would have like youth group time back in our hotel room at the end of the night and, and we had just gotten done listening to some worship songs uh from a CD, because that's how old I am. And uh it was um, the, the, the old song. You are amazing, God, indescribable, 
unexplainable. Anyway, so we just got done doing that. And the youth minister's like, okay, any thoughts on today? And I was like, yeah, I have one from like this, this moment, actually. Like, what if we thought about that song from the place of not you are amazing God, which he is, and that's totally the point of the song. But like, what if we could amaze God? Like by having this heart for him and having these thoughts for him and having these understandings of him, what if we were amazing him? And the youth minister was like, uh, yeah, buddy, um, that's a thought. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> but here we are. Jesus hears this faith story and he marveled at it. For, for, for clarity and understanding, to, to marvel at something is to be filled with wonder and astonishment. So point number one, how's your faith? Do you have a faithful heart? Do you have a heart that, that you just are bringing people to Christ? Not in the sense of, of giving them the gospel, though we should and please do every day. But you take the time and when you're sitting in the throne room of God and you're lifting up your voice to him, do you place people at his feet? Yes, this centurion was a Gentile, and the Gentiles were, were, were very less than to the Jews. But don't get lost in the faithfulness of someone who didn't grow up hearing the Bible stories. He just heard about Jesus, and he reacted. There's a world of students out there, from my son who's two and going to a preschool to our college students to, um, I know Erica is, is going back to school. She's getting her master's. Think about the things that they're facing out there. Think about the lessons that are being taught them. Are you taking them before the throne room of God? Point number two. So I told you all there would be a servant, and then there would be a son. So looking at verse 11, this might be my favorite one of all of these. It says, soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples, his disciples in a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the bar. And the, and the bear stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all surrounding country. Whew. Sometimes it's not about faith. Sometimes it's about hope. I never really thought about this with this story, and I think that's why I'm connecting with it so much, because my heart has been stirred in studying for this sermon. That I'd never really thought about, you know, I understood Jesus raised people from the dead. 
And I think that's so cool. And, and I've, I understand that we are dead to him and we are dead even to our futures as we live in sin and are not living in him. But the way that one of the, the commentators put it is you have this, this burial procession and they're making their way out of the town. They're making their way to the burial spot. They are on path and direction. And Jesus comes up. No one even asks. Jesus sees what's going on, understands what's going on, and reaches out and touches and says, Arise. The boy gets up and goes to his mother. See, the direction for this young man was the direction of death. He was on a path to death. He was on a path to the end. The mother was on a path to losing her son, putting her son to rest, being out on her own. No husband, no other sons. Can you understand the lack of hope she would have had? But Christ comes in and says... I'm not done with him or you yet. You may think you're about to be on your own, but I have another plan for you. And so what Jesus does, the hope that he gives, this part here at the end, that he's going to come back someday, that hope that we live in is that he takes us, all of us who have been on or are currently on a path to death and touches us speaks to us, redirects us. And that's not your life anymore. Do you get that? Yes, it's an untouchable person. How disgusting for him to run up and be all around this dead body. The Jews were very bothered about death and decay. But Jesus comes up and says, but not yet. And see, the truth of it is, is somebody came in today on a different path. Somebody came in today with this idea that you've gone too far. There is no idea in that widow's mind that her son is going to raise up. To rise from that carrier. But Jesus said, get up. And change direction. The really cool thing about this is when you contrast it to the story before, Jesus wasn't even near the servant when he healed him. Jesus doesn't have to be sitting next to you to heal you. The really cool thing, though, his spirit is here. His spirit is all around. Amen, Kurt. Amen. Near, far, he's there, he's working, he's powerful, he's present. Whether your faith is so small yet it's moving mountains, or your hope feels like it's not even there and he comes back and he leads you back into that place of hope. What a beautiful picture that God is willing to come in and say, not yet. I'm going to take away this sickness. I'm going to take away this death. I'm going to take away this trajectory that you're on and this life that you think you are destined for and say, no, 
You are my son. You are my daughter. Death does not hold you. I hold you. Do you know how many dead people are walking around today? Not in a weird zombie apocalypse kind of way, but they don't understand who Christ is. And all that they know is their flesh. All they know is this heart that is deceiving them. All that they know is this trajectory they're on, and they think they've gone too far. They think that there's no way God would ever come up and touch them and speak to them and lead them and use them. Again, chances are really good that somewhere under the sound of my voice, somebody in here is thinking you've gone too far, that you've gone too far into the point of death to ever be used by him. When all along Christ is about to walk up and walk by and touch you and change your life and say, get up. Do you believe that? The last story I want to look at is a few verses ahead, starting with verse 36. Luke 7, verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair from her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. I don't know about you guys, but if I was just muttering something slightly negative in my head, I don't know that I'd be so eager to be like, yeah, go ahead, Jesus. <laughs> I'm a little scared. But the reality is here, he has no idea what that he's doing anything wrong. He has no idea that his heart is so off track. He has no idea that his thoughts are being produced from a heart that was not for the Lord. I need you to put yourselves for a second at that party. Because I don't know about you. And I'm not saying I would having, be having these thoughts that, that homegirl's a sinner and shouldn't be touching Jesus. I would really be questioning the practice of using your tears and your hair as a foot washing method. Like, that would be wild. But what you need to understand, and I'm sure a lot of you do, it was Jewish custom that if you were going to have someone into your home, like, you would take care of their feet. The feet were the dirty thing to them. That's why when they ate, they reclined at the table and kept their feet away from the table and their bodies positioned to the table. If you're going to have someone of honor in, which Jesus would have been even at this point, they would still refer to him as rabbi sometimes or teacher you would have at least done it of the person you were honoring for the dinner. Yet Jesus' feet are still dirty here. 
And this sinful woman whose society and their understanding of faith would say she has nothing to do with God. She has turned her back on God. She has no understanding of who we are and our practices is the one that comes in and she's standing behind him weeping. It doesn't say this, but you have to understand if she's standing behind him weeping, she notices his feet. And so she looks down and she's like, what in the world? I was even brought up to understand those feet should be clean. Those feet should be honored. And so she takes the time and she gets down there and she's just crying so much because she's in the presence of Jesus and there's a heaviness. I talked to the kids about this last week. She was mourning her life. We should mourn our sin. Yes, we celebrate freedom. We celebrate life. But we need to mourn our sin. And she does that. So she gets down, and she's weeping, and she's crying. And the only thing of honor she had to have had left would have been her hair. And so she lets that hair down. And after she's taken the time to wet those feet with her tears, she wipes them and cleans them off with her hair. I don't know a person in this room that would do that. I mean, really think about that. But it's all that she had. Other than the ointment. It would have been expensive. It would have been a lot. Especially for a woman like this. Like she, she would have had to have been saving that and using that for very special occasions. And, and Jesus is that special occasion. And so she comes in. This broken discarded, forgotten person and lays herself at the feet of Jesus. Let's see how the story ends. Simon responds, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, He canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Is that us? Maybe not today, 
Maybe it's been a long time since we've known a level of sin like that. Because we're, 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 we're trying. We try to walk that faithful life and we try to walk those steps. But man, again, there's at least one person under the sound of my voice that this is you. You are so ready to break down. You are so ready to hand yourself over. You are so ready to just mourn those sins and to let them go and to bury them and leave them behind. I'll tell you, the water's ready. And even if it wasn't, it's worth it. It could be cold as ice, and that's still a very beautiful place to be. To mourn that old life, to set it free, and to live in His salvation. Too often, we find ourselves coming in a little bit like the Pharisees. And we have our expectations. We have our belief of how things are going to happen and be. And sometimes because of the monotonous of things or, or because, again, our hearts just may not be in the right place, which the beautiful thing is, if that's the case, God takes care of it. And we start losing ourselves in what we're doing and not in a good way. We forget why we gather together. We forget why we stand in worship whether it be in this room or that room, whether it be out in the parking lot in the burning sun. We forget why we come together and read Scripture. Because Scripture is like looking in a mirror and seeing the things in which you need to surrender and give over. But a fool walks away and forgets what he looks like. James, there's a reason why We do what we do. All throughout different sections of Paul's letters, he encourages the older to mentor the younger. And I'm telling you now, there are a number of of students, whether it be college or teens, that are standing behind Jesus with tears welled up in their eyes. How are you going to respond when they start weeping over his feet and drying them with their hair? Because it very well may look different than how you've lived your life and how you've worshipped and how you've done. Are you prepared to receive them? Are you prepared to walk with them? Are you prepared to guide them and to love them and to cheer them on and to support them and just be eager? I think about just forming a victory tunnel right here and just letting these kids pass through and seeing how loved they are. Are you prepared for that? Here's the so what. Here's here's the landing of, of the plane. It is back to school Sunday. We have teachers and students that are about to be back in these places. And and I'm just curious, are you ready and willing to, to lift them up? Teachers, are you ready to lift your students up? Are you ready to lift your administration up? Are you ready to be the Jewish elders and take them to Jesus and say, they're worthy? Jesus is like, I know. I was there. I remember when they were knitted together. Students, are you ready to do that for your teachers, for your classmates, for your administrators? Parents, are you ready? 
Are you ready to pray for not just your student, but the other students? For the teachers? For the administrators? Hey, community, are you ready to pray for these students and these teachers and these administrators? Do you have such a faith in Christ? Are you ready to lift these up to where West Monroe is not some weird blip on a map, but it is such a light for Christ because of the faithfulness of you guys lifting up these students in prayer and Christ coming in and saying, I'm ready to heal them. They will be sick no more. Are you ready for that? What if? Are you ready to see lives change directions? Do you believe that students can change directions? Do you believe that the teacher who was worn out and burnt out because she's been doing it for 20 years can change directions and find her passion again? Do you believe that Jesus can come in and take us from a direction of death to a direction of life? Are you ready for that? And are we truly ready to see all of the broken and all of the discarded to weep and do? I'm going to echo what Bromley did last week. I'm going to ask you guys, who are you in this story? You might be a loved one that's being brought to Christ, and you might be the loved one bringing someone to Christ. That's beautiful. Either way, it's so beautiful. Some of you guys are gone too, have gone too far. At least you think that. At least the world's convinced you of that. At least Satan's come in and, and put shame in your life and made you think we think that. Not today. Because you have a God that's going to change your direction. There's a God ready and willing to change the direction of every student, every teacher, every coach in our Twin Cities and beyond. And then there's the sinful woman who is just mourning that life that she regrets and knowing the love of a Savior who is ready to send her on. Are you ready to see lives changed? To where brokenness is mended? To where people who feel unwanted are surrounded? That's what we do here. When we have this invitation song, it's not just to close out in a nice little moment of worship. It's an invitation to any and all of you that either want to leave that life behind or are ready to come up and say, you know what? I can't do this alone anymore. And I'm excited to hear that this is a congregation that prays for their students. And so I want this congregation to pray for me as well. Because I need it. I need to be surrounded and uplifted. It's time to go back to school, guys. Question is, how are we going to do it? Who are we going to be? Whose are we going to be? Our hearts may be deceitful, but God is unchanging. His ability to do everything he did in those three stories 
is still his ability today. So whatever you want to do, however you want it to look, it can be today or you can wait because it needs to be your choice, fully formed and fully decided. But whatever that may be, know that you have a God who's calling your name and telling you to rise up. Y'all stand and worship with us. All right.